All right, everybody, welcome to another very special episode of the Superhouse Podcast. This is Andrew, as always, and this week we have a very special guest. It's my other boss, Mike Ezel. Mike is second in command at Fractured Effects, and before that, he worked on Apocalypto, Dark Planet, Cabin Fever 2, 300 Part 2, Drag Me to Hell, Surrogates, The Lazarus Effect, and Alien vs. Predator, Requiem, just to name a few. I'm trying to get the ones that you were a mold maker on. I don't even remember most of this. <laughs> that was a lot of different shops. And you were a mold maker, but before, um, right. this is a list of stuff that before you were a coordinator. Yes. Okay, right. we'll talk about the coordinator stuff later. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. <clears throat> Maybe you saw that. All right, so um, I kind of want to go in order with you, a yeah, lot of more than we did with Justin, actually. <laughs> Maybe your life story a little bit first, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, sure. So you're from Oklahoma originally? Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, when I graduated high school, I went into the Marine Corps. Okay. Spent four years there. I lived in Japan for a year. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I came back out here and met my wife in California. Um, so when I got out of the Marines, we just stayed out here. Okay. And uh, I became a police officer for a few years, 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. And wow. then uh, it took me that long to realize what a crappy job it was. <laughs> Maybe I'm not too smart. Can you talk about that on air? Uh, you know, just I, I think I just got burned out. I got tired of cleaning up other people's crap for a living. And, yeah. you know, I had a friend killed in the line of duty while I was there. Um, so I, I think I just finally burned out on it. A lot of people do. Was that, was that even worse? I mean, I don't know about to say worse, but like it was a little bit rougher than even the Marines were. Oh yeah. You really? Know, I, I was in the military police and I mean, you get a lot of crap on a military base, but overall it's nothing like the civilian world. You know, it's when you're, when you're in the police department on a base, there's a lot less crazy activity going on. Cause you know, uh, I mean, it's on base and everybody's already under, uh, you know, the military code of justice and, right. uh, discipline, you know, within units and stuff. So you still get drunk people being dumb and you still get the occasional like a domestic violence call or something if people live right. on base, but you don't have near the crime level that's, you know, out, out in the real world, so to speak. You were in Pomona. Yeah. Pomona, yeah. California. Yeah. That was crazy. Is that known for as, is, is it live up to the meth name or? At, at the time it was really known for, um, you know, late 89, 90, it was a lot of gang problems. Crack was still like the king of the street then. Um, you were here during starting the to come up. But Rodney King riots. I was, yeah. Oh, we man. had our own riots in Pomona Okay, during that time. Yeah, it oh, was yeah. nuts. You had to handle all that, at least yeah. partially? We got, uh, yeah, we got called in off duty. Everybody oh, yeah. got called in for that. And uh, so unlike LAPD, you know, they just sort of, cordoned off that whole area and they, they caught a lot of flack for kind of just staying out and letting okay. things go down. And we tried to sort of coordinate off and uh, go in there and stop people who were setting dumpster fires and okay. you know, all that crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a crazy time. <laughs> so you, I can imagine um, you, you were, you're like a kid in Oklahoma and were there like movies that you liked growing up that like kind of planted the seed? Um, no, no, actually. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I was a huge movie fan when I was a kid and, um, but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, this is how old I am. The stations used to sign off, you know, oh, yeah. and there would be one station that would play all night movies and, oh, yeah. you know, I, I would stay up all night just watching movies and stuff. Um, but after I got up, out of police work, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And my wife actually had a friend, uh, Tamara Woodard, who's a, a fabricator in okay. the business. And she was working at Stan Winston Studios. Okay. And she said, hey, I can get you a job just kind of basically doing grunt work in, okay. the, in the shop just to sort of, you know, fill in in between until you figure out what you're going to do. And while I was at Stan Winston's, um, a couple of mold makers kind of took me under their wing a uh, guy named Barry Crane. <laughs> I was sitting at a table full of like 19-year-old interns trimming alien tentacles for uh, War of the Worlds, the so Tom you, Cruise version. You go from the streets of Pomona to doing Yeah, to work. sitting among, among a bunch of 19-year-old <laughs> you know, makeup school hopefuls or something, what, yeah. whatever. And we we're trimming um, alien tentacles. And Barry Crane walked by and, he, and you know, I was 36 years old. So I was obviously yeah. older than everyone else in the group. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me and he went, 
what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm trimming alien tentacles, man. He goes, yeah, fuck that. Come with me. I'm going to show you how to make molds. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's where I started learning how to make molds. Okay. I was like, okay. Okay. Um, and I just, you know, I went from there. I went to Steve Johnson's Edge Effects okay. and uh, Spectral Motion. Um, that was like one, two, three, my first three jobs in the business um, were pretty, you know, obviously well-established shops. Um, people in Stan Winston's yeah. would come up. It's a, it's a general thing when you're in a shop and you see somebody new, you kind of ask them, well, so where else have you worked? Yeah. And they would come up and ask me that and I would go, oh, I, I don't know anything about this business. <laughs> I just, and they would go, what? Yeah. Do you know how long it took me to get into Stan Winston's? I'm like, right. oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> what you, do you want your me to say police about that? And, you know, Marine resume probably helped in some way or another. Or I don't think so. I, I think... Uh, in fact, when a lot of people found out what I used to do, they were kind of like, oh, uh, like they didn't know how to act or, um, you know. Weed's not legal yet, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, people didn't really know what to do with that. So uh, actually, it did me no good whatsoever uh, until it came to the coordinating end. But okay, um, yeah, where, you know, I had to learn from scratch. I had to just start, you know, uh, I went from making whatever it was at the time, over $30 an hour as a cop to uh 12 bucks an hour at stands oh, you know yeah. and then just slowly work your way back up again uh through your rates as you work but you you definitely were like i'm not going back to being a cop no no okay I, never that wasn't gonna happen <laughs> okay <laughs> whatever okay. else happened that wasn't it it's just too much huh yeah i was all done with that okay <laughs> all right um going back for a second so uh you Went into the Marines when you were 18? Yeah. Yeah, I was 18. And you had four years? Yep. Okay. And you were in Japan for a year of that? Yeah. Okay. Um, from, uh, what was that? I think that was 87 to 88, I think. Okay. Uh, that I was in. And then I came back here and did another, I think I had a year and 10 months left on my enlistment. Okay. Got out in October of 89. Okay. So that was, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Did you have any culture shock? Did you go off base any? Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Uh, we were at a little air station uh, in a place called Iwakuni, okay. and it was like you walk out the front gate and you're in the main, okay. what they used to call the ville, you know, the okay. um, where uh, a bunch of shops and, of course, bars <laughs> outside a military base. Uh, that tends to spring up, and, you know, Japanese people yeah. like to get yeah. their party on anyway, yeah. so there's yeah. Lots, yeah. plenty of bars and clubs. Work hard, play hard. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much, yeah. 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 Did you, you, you didn't have like any culture shock or anything You know, like that? it wasn't too bad. I mean, for me, I, I was kind of fascinated by their culture anyway. So, right, right. Uh, you know, and when you go to a foreign country, you got to kind of blend in with their culture is the way I look yeah, at it yeah, anyway. Yeah. That's so, a good uh, outlook. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's their country. Yeah. And, and we were briefed, you know, yeah. don't, don't screw up off base. Right, right. You know, if you get put in a Japanese jail we're not going to come to you. We can't, we right. can't come just right. get you out of jail. Right. So don't be stupid. Right. You know? Um, yeah. The Japanese police, they didn't play. They were unarmed at the time. Yeah. I think they may have a few armed officers now, but they got revolvers. Yeah. They had little collapsible batons at the time. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, you would see their white helmets come bobbing down the street through the crowd. Oh, here <laughs> yeah. come the JPs. We yeah. call them Japanese JPs. police. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they didn't play games, man. Yeah, was, for sure. Well, you know, you, you've been to Japan. You're in their it's, country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's their culture. It's their country. Um, I mean, they were good to people. They know. Yeah. yeah. If you're out in a bar getting drunk and being loud and something, uh, they're not looking to throw you into jail for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they will have you, you know, taken back to base. Right. We, when I, I was an MP, of course, so when I was on duty... We drove the van out there more than once okay. to pick up a few okay. Marines and airmen and, you know, people out there kind of screwing up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't crazy culture shock. It was, I thought it was really cool. I, I honestly yeah. wish I had been a little older when I oh, went. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. I, you know, I, gotcha. I was 19. I was Didn't interested fully in appreciate. Party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I gotcha. You were military police. Yeah. What, yeah. what got you into that exactly? I thought you were canine unit or something. I was, um, when I went in. Uh, I did really well on my test. It was funny. The, the recruiter, you know, I walked in, I had long hair. And, yeah. You know, I was a young kid. I was like, hey, I want to join the Marines. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Snake. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, kidding. okay. Um, and he goes, here, yeah, go take this test and we'll talk when you're done. 
so I came back out with the test and he was reading the newspaper and he goes, uh, Oh, you got a question? I said, a question? No, I'm done. It was <laughs> like a super simple, you okay. know, junior high level reading comprehension okay. stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was, I, you know, I was a pretty gifted student. Um, so I just went, well, you know, I'm done with this. He's just give me that. He puts the answer key <laughs> over it. And he's like, Oh, you missed one. He's like, okay, you know, and then he gets all interested in talking to me. Um, and he said, look, um, you know, of course I was 18. I was like, oh, what's, what's this recon Marine thing? You know, you're all thinking you're going to go high speed, low drag, right. some kind of crazy special ops stuff. And he said, well, look, here's the truth about recon. Um, you have to enlist in the infantry and then try to get into recon. So mm. basically you have to go in as a grunt. Right. And he said, uh, he said, I, I don't know if you want to fine. He said, right. but I have an opening in the military police. It's a good unit. It's a good job. Um, he said, I, you know, just looking at your tests and stuff, I think you'd enjoy that a little more. Okay. So I was like, Oh, I didn't know what he meant at the time. Of course. What is military police? Right. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I went into the MPs and while I was in MP school, um, I was an honor graduate out of my class. So they let me interview for a canine position. Okay. And that year I got the last bomb dog that was slotted for the Marines. Okay. Cause at the time all branches trained on, uh, Lackland air force base in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. So all the, all the branches were there and the dog slots were sort of assigned to each branch. Okay. And, uh, I got a bomb dog slot and I wound up staying there in school for almost a year. So you were MP and then bomb dog? It's the same. Uh, oh, canine okay. officers are attached. They MP, uh, the uh, MOS number for MP used to be 5811. Okay. And if you went into canine, it would just be 5812. Okay. So you were still, I'd still, like when I came to Pendleton, I had my dog in the car, normal marked police car and everything. Okay. Um, so it's, it's just like being a civilian cop almost. Okay. Like I said, a little less activity. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Um, <clears throat> were you like, you were just before Kuwait or was there any like major operation while no, you were in? It was, wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, you know, obviously there's always something going on, but we were not in any major conflicts at the time. Um, I think it was a little more laid back okay. view, uh, you know, at that time. So yeah, by the time I got out in 89, I had pretty much just sort of gone from base to base and okay. you know, we didn't deploy to the Middle East or anything like that. Okay. Just before it got yeah. a little bit crazier. Yeah. All right. Is this where you got the nickname Buzzsaw? <laughs> How, what is, for the listener, his, your nickname is Buzzsaw? Yeah. So, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, in the Marines, they called me easy because of the first two letters of my last uh, name. Okay. Um, but I got out and uh, I was on training. And of course, I had already been in the military police. So I knew how to use a baton. We used the, the okay. side handle, the PR-24s, uh, you know, okay. based on a Tonfa. Okay. Yeah. In the yeah. military. So when we came out here, we had what they call straight sticks, a straight baton okay. in, in Pomona. And uh, my very first big encounter with that i was with my training officer and he spotted a guy he knew um who was a heroin addict and a burglar walking through a construction site so he said something to the guy out the window okay I, I, was a guy's name jerry or something hey jerry and boom the guy took off running okay so he's like ah we got it you know and uh, you know i'm on training my my fto jumps out of the car like, ah, we gotta here, get this here guy. we go so we chased him and my fto was I'm not the fastest guy in the world. Yeah. Far from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the guy was wearing cowboy boots. Oh, okay. And my FTO was a big power lifter dude. So okay. he was slower than me. Okay. Okay. And uh, gotcha. this guy ran into somebody's house, kicked the door into somebody's house. Holy crap. And he was going to run all the way through, but he, he screwed up and ran into a closet. <laughs> and uh, So he had oh, to turn around man. and come out. And by the time he came out, I was coming through the front door yeah. and he kind of squared up on me with those cowboy boots on and tried to kick me. So I drew my baton and I don't, I don't even, I, I must've hit him in the lower legs, you know, yeah. 10 or 15 times in the span yeah. of a couple of seconds. Yeah. I was all hyped up. Yeah. First time I'd ever been in that. Oh um, man. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, 
Is your Hit adrenaline with going like oh, dude, insane yeah. at that yeah. time? Thundering, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and and you've got people screaming because you're in their house. Yeah, yeah. You know, this guy yeah. just randomly yeah. broke into a house. Right. Um, so afterward, my FTO, uh, unbeknownst to me, had started talking about the incident to other veteran cops. And he's like, yeah, come through the door. And there's Ezel in there like a buzzsaw <laughs> going oh. at him with the baton, hitting him, you know, across the shin. And uh, so the dude fell down and we arrested him and everything. But that's where it came from. Then, okay. then I started hearing that. I'm like, what? What did you call me? Buzzsaw. <laughs> like, buzzsaw. Uh, ta- because I have a really long torso and short legs. They okay. call me the Tasmanian devil. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's what, yeah, my email address comes out of that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, it was funny. I knew you're Marine and police officer. I was like, this buzzsaw name has got to be <laughs> yeah. from this time. Yeah. Yeah. That was from my FTO. All right. Um, so you come back from the Marines to Oklahoma. You were never a police officer there. No, I never went back to Oklahoma. Oh, you never did once? Nope. Okay. I left and never went back. Okay. Copy that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I was kind of okay. estranged from I was. I had already moved out of my house when I was in high school. Oh, so okay. there was really no reason for me to go back. So I just stayed out here in California. Okay. And when I got out, yeah, my wife okay. was from Reseda. Okay. We got married and, you know, moved down to Oceanside and that was it. Oh, Oceanside's awesome. Beautiful. I like Beautiful Oceanside. Place. I wish I wish the train, I wish the like Amtrak could come straight from All there. the way, yeah. Yeah, that'd be so cool. It was nice. Yeah. And my son's stationed on Pendleton now, so, you know. We get to go down there every once in a while. Okay. So much cooler down All there right. during the summer. Even though it's hot, you still, you're right yeah. off the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Really That's good beginner nice. surfing there too. <clears throat> That's what I heard. Uh, yeah. People used to come on Pendleton all the time to the trestles. Trestles. Yeah. Trestles is not beginner, but it's not super advanced either. Yeah. We would see but them yeah. all the time. Uh, yeah. You know, they would just come and sign in at the gate and yeah, come yeah, on yeah. base and go surfing. It's definitely like known for that. Oh, it's cool. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of good spots there. Um, so you're you're a police officer for 14 years in Pomona. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, do you want to talk about any differences between Oklahoma and California? It's just a normal like city versus country. Yeah, but and I mean, I, I lived in Lawton, which was a pretty decent sized city. We had three major high schools there. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty big city it wasn't like a big culture shock for okay. me to go somewhere else you know, okay. i didn't live in like a tiny little town with okay one stoplight and uh i know. did did you until i was until i was 13 i lived in a town with literally one traffic light oh, about wow. a thousand people so I, I tell people i'm from alabama or georgia or both because i moved to i went to high school in georgia but every time everything before that was alabama for me oh okay so yeah it's a little weird weird timing for me but but yeah, the time in Alabama was one traffic light, and then Georgia was a little bit more like we were closer to Atlanta, and so it was like not a so it was like a just outside the suburbs. Yeah. So you had the city right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot closer. Lo- well, I used to spend yeah. um, I used to spend all my summers in uh, West Texas with my grandparents in this okay. little, little spot in the desert called Van Horn. Okay, it's like 120 miles east of El Paso. And okay, that's a, yeah, that's a tiny. Tiny little West Texas town. West Texas is where it gets really country, huh? Yeah. They always make that difference. Hot, and it's more of a kind of a desert-like yeah. environment out yeah, there. Yeah, 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 um, But, yeah, that was uh, that was different. And, you know, it's a little conservative <laughs> town. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that was a different experience. But I, I think Lawton was big enough that, you know, it didn't really make a difference to me when I got to bigger towns. Okay. All right. Um. <clears throat> It says on your IMDb that you were key grip in 1980 for something called Hangar 18. That was not me. That's not you. 1980, I was probably in the ninth grade. Okay. See, that's the thing about, I keep telling people to use Michael on my credits because I think there's another Mike. But the rest of it was right though, it seems Yeah, yeah. So, it's, okay. it's weird. IMDb right. is kind of weird that way. So and that, I don't update my stuff. So that all the stuff you see on there was put on there, you know, some credits. Else. Yeah, I don't keep it up. So 1979 in the search for historic Jesus is not you. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's see. I was 12 then. No, <laughs> I thought maybe you got like a super early start and then went into the service. No, no. Okay. Me. All right. Okay. So let's say, let's get to the effects stuff finally. Cool. Okay. So. Um, you told us how you got into effects pretty much was via, what was the person's name again? Tamara. Tamara Carlson Woodard is uh, a really well-known fabricator. Okay. Um, 
she's uh you know she's made tons of different monster suits she's done puppeteering um i mean she was i think she was at stands for a pretty good while and you know this industry you hop from yeah. place to place yeah. it, you get laid off right um, but she had a lot of experience and she's a really good fabricator okay um, and she was friends with my wife so she said hey you know uh, honestly i'd never thought about it i had okay. never thought about yeah, getting right. into this business um, so it was just kind of, I fell into it by accident. So you left, you left, uh, police service and, um, what were you, police being a police officer and you had, you just had no idea what you're going to do. Nope. Absolutely nothing. I was absolutely done with that. So, okay. And that, you know, that's what happens. I, and, and I, I think it's a smart thing to do. You know, if you feel yourself start going in that direction, just get out of that. Cause right. there's so many cops that. You know, you go down the line, they went up committing suicide for from PTSD or yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of alcoholism in that business and divorce. Right, and, right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I was like I said, I, I guess I wasn't very smart because it took me 14 years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, some some people never do, I guess. Yeah. Um, OK, um, you were a mold maker for 300 part two. No, you were coordinating. Yeah, I was coordinating then. then. What about Apocalypto? Apocalypto, I was a mold maker and I came in to see, this is how it kind of works. Um, that was, oh, was Greg Canham's old shop? Not, is Captive it? Audience. Captive Audience. That was Captive Audience. Nice name. Um, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a cool little shop, but Greg, I think Greg was long out of it by then. Um, and someone else was running it. I went over there and worked for two weeks. And like okay. molded the monkey, uh, right, and right, okay. A couple other things because they needed yeah. extra help. Um, but the weird thing is, not long after that, I received um, a letter from the studio. Everybody did saying, "Hey, we're missing stuff, basically." And you know, oh, I think if I you have this. access to any of it, and I was like, "Oh my god," you know. And but then I looked at it, I realized it was a form letter that went out to everyone, and I didn't know squat. Okay, and I was still really new, so okay, I was just like, well. I don't know what that is, so I'm going to let those guys worry about it. And then, it, you know, it kind of came out that I, I still – I don't know the whole thing, so I'm not even going to speculate. Okay. But there was some weirdness there. The business was sort of taken over, and the studio came in and said, hey, we're kind of taking over assets or something like okay. that. So, yeah, that was a weird experience. But you made you made a monkey for it mainly? Um, I remember molding one of the monkeys. I think they did some puppets, you know, when the monkeys are – trying to come down into that pit or something. I forget the scene. Um, they were also making <laughs> those enormous tapir, tapir testicles. Okay. Did you see them, you know, they eat it in the beginning or yeah, something? Yeah. 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 I remember that. I like, kind of like how that opened up though. Like it's kind yeah. of a big joke. Yeah. <laughs> like you think it's going to be kind of a serious historical epic and it, it is mostly, but it's like a big, you know, joke like that in the beginning. Yeah. Which was so, pretty cool. There was a lot of that. I, I don't know. I think they were working on another show there at the time, but you know, again, you know, from being here that there's yeah. three, four shows going on at one yeah, time. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that was uh, apocalypto. <laughs> that was my experience with that. Okay. Yeah. It's weird. Um, we worked on a Scorsese movie briefly yep. and, uh, it was weird. Cause like whenever the person was in, it was like, Oh, I, I guess I'm working on a Scorsese movie this hour. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then the next hour, it's like totally different. And yeah, like, exactly. I haven't changed my environs. It's, you know, it's just like, yeah. but technically right now I am working on a Scorsese movie. That's right. You know, it was, it was pretty cool feeling actually. Um, that wasn't your first uh, mold making position? Uh, no. You know, so I started at Stan's and <laughs> oddly enough, I, uh, you know, I had just come from, a serious like when you're in a management position in a bureaucratic place like a police department or whatever it, it's a different environment so I came here yeah. and right away I see you know like supervisors uh, yelling and cursing at people on uh, the shop floor <clears throat> calling them right. names and I was right. like my god what is this place you yeah. know yeah um, so I kind of got into it with the mold shop supervisor and and you know made it really <laughs> clear that I wasn't going to take that kind of you know, verbal abuse. Like right. I, I said, right. I, I'm not sure, but I don't know much about this business. So I don't know why everyone else has taken that from you, but yeah. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so there was uh, the mold shop supervisor from Steve Johnson's edge effects 
really didn't like the supervisor from the other shop. Okay. So one of his friends called him and said, Hey, there's this new guy here. And he, he just like got into a big thing with uh, the supervisor over here and told him off. And uh, <laughs> I like that, that was, guy. Yeah. So he said, have that guy give me a call. <laughs> and he gave me a job. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. That was pretty funny. I got my second job because I got into it with a supervisor at my first job. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Actually. Yeah. What was that second job then? Uh, man, what were they working on? Surrogates? No, that was K and B. Um, God, what was that first show at Edge Effects? Dark Planet. No. Drag Me to Hell. Uh, Drag Me to Hell was also K and B. Those it? were both at the same time. Alien um, versus Predator. I don't remember which Steve show that was, but this was unfortunately right before Edge Effects kind of folded up. And this and, is Steve Johnson, right? Yeah, I've heard so much about this guy. I've never met him. Don't know what he sounds like. Apparently, he's got a higher voice. No, well, everybody does this. It doesn't sound like him, but everybody yeah. does Steve like this. Yeah, uh-huh. screw you guys. You know, okay. and they do yeah. the cigarette smoking yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's not that high. No, it's not that high. And you know, I mean, I got there right at the end of all of that. You know, I wasn't there for the crazy stuff that went on in yeah. the nineties. And yeah, and um, apparently, it was wild. It, that's what I heard. It was pretty wild, and. Um, it just sort of, I think it kind of all spun apart while I was uh, there on one last show. We're working on a show called Unearthed. This kind of a low-budget monster show. Sort of familiar. I feel like I've heard of that. There's a couple of Unearthed. Oh, okay. Uh, one of them, I think, has Savini in it. Okay. And that's not it. Okay. And then uh, this was just some crazy monster show. And um, someone told me, you know, oh, hey, like next Friday is probably going to be it for this okay and, and i noticed like the shop was looking really deserted and i said well, what's going on i said ah, i think the shop's going to close down and i was like oh, oh my god yeah yeah um, yeah but that's when um uh christian beckman and justin sort of formed quantum out of the ashes of of uh, edge they basically bought okay. out you know equipment and some molds and stuff and that's that's where quantum was actually kind of born okay all right yeah it was nuts <laughs> so you yes. were there even for the formation of that yeah yeah okay yeah i was a mold maker then um first big big show they did was watchman uh-huh right and, and i right. was a mold maker on watchman um yeah that was uh oh my god you get a copy of the watchman to like this is our storyboard this is what i heard like he snyder uh, would put, put I think, copies of the watchman graphic novel comic, in people's hands yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think they did that, like with Justin and Christian, of course. The rest of us, you know, when you're on a shop floor, you don't see that stuff. Right, right, right. Um, so uh, we had to make those big suits, and that was nuts. Casting up, they would sculpt the the suit form. Yeah. Then we would mold that, and we would cast up a 1630 urethane copy of the suit. Okay. And then the body shop guys would polish that thing until it looked like a mirror. I mean, okay. Those things were amazing. And then we would do a hero mold. Okay. Um, and then that's what makes the suits look so shiny or you okay. know, super smooth and metallic when you paint them. Um, man, that was that was a learning experience because I, I had never really worked big. on it. Yeah, I had never worked on a big costume show like that before. I mean, I worked at Spectral Motion, but yeah, but not in you know like having hands on the pieces like right. that. That was my first experience. You know, going through the superhero suit thing. Right. This is just the beginnings. Yeah. 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 Crazy, yeah. crazy process. Did you feel like you picked it up well when you were doing this? Because it was a totally new skill set, right? I did okay. I mean, um, I, I like working with my hands, so yeah. mold making was kind of cool. I there are some guys like you know Rob Freitas, yeah, um, who can just think in in the <laughs> negative, like you know they see the mold in their head, yeah. And yeah. I am not good with that. You okay, know, I know the process. I know how to make a good mold. It's yeah. just gonna you know. Obviously, it's, it's going to take you a little longer than it takes Rob or, or you right. know, some of these experienced mold makers out there. Right. Um, so, you know, it took a while and it took a while to kind of realize what this stuff was for and how each step of the process can really impact what comes next. Okay. If you screw up a mold, uh, you know, and, it, and you, you've got a little damage in the piece, that means somebody like Steve Kuzla has to come in during the seaming process right. and fix it, right. hopefully. Right, right, right. Um, so that, you know, 
the learning curve there as, as I started to learn more and more about how important each step was. Right. Um, I, I think that really helped me later on, you know, as a coordinator to understand, oh, right. Hey, I right, can't, right, right, you know, right. we can't rush the mold part. We right. can't rush this part or that part because you know, right. if somebody makes a mistake, then it just screws us every other step down the line. Right. So that, that was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting learning curve. What was the last thing you were, your mold maker on? Before you became a Let's coordinator. See. I was working at uh, Tinsley Studios. I think we did, what did we do? The first season of American Horror Story. Um, Riddick. Okay. The last Riddick movie where okay. he's stranded on the planet with all the creatures. Okay. Um, we did the the creature and a couple other things. Um, I think Adrian Moreau did the bodies and stuff for it, if I remember correctly. So that was, it was one of the shows over at Tinsley's. Um did quite a few shows as usual. There were a few things running through there. Um, but then while I was there, um, I got a call from Justin and he said, Hey, I'm a, you know, he had already established fraction and done a couple of the James Wan shows like, okay. out of okay. his garage, you know, yeah, and then he had that little place in Pasadena. Heard about these, this, these days. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, the 300 sequel was like the first big, show where he was going to need a lot of space and right. a lot of people. Right, right, um, right. So I came back over here and uh, started coordinating for him on the 300 sequel and just been here ever since. Do you like that more than mold making? I think everybody likes things more than mold making. <laughs> 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 it, you know, you're grinding fiberglass yeah. and yeah, you're yeah, yeah. using all these urethanes and different yeah. things and, and the resin for the molds. You know, I always tell guys, use your safety equipment. Don't let some old macho dude say, ah, you don't need that respirator or I mean, whatever. Look, I mean, in my case, specifically my case, I'm not in front of it a lot because mm-hmm. I'm the photographer. Right. But even I don't even want to be around it that much. And I know I might be thinking about this too much, but I haven't had kids yet. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe there's no science showing that it does anything anyway. But just on the safe side, I mean, it's no, a lot it of does. A lot crazy of chemicals things, here. Yeah. A lot of those things will go to your reproductive system. Yeah, That's, yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, uh, use your safety equipment, man. Put yeah. the gloves on. Put the respirator on. Use your glasses because there's a lot of hazardous materials you know, right. in this business. Right. In, in a lot of businesses that make stuff like this. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I never minded it. I, you just throw on a suit and go in there and right. grind. It doesn't bother Tyvek. me. But yeah. You were a full Tyvek guy like oh, yeah. uh, Alan? Yeah. You got to put <laughs> okay. your suit on if yeah. you're going to go grind. Yeah. Um, I found out that way the hard way because uh, I think I put on, oh, I was at uh, Jose's shop, Ironhead. Yeah. And he didn't like a lot of the uh, the traditional resin stuff because that stuff's, you know, it stinks something powerful. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were experimenting with the <clears throat> the UV resin that you roll out in the sunlight. Okay. And it starts to kick off. So um, I made a mold out of the UV resin, brought it in, grinded, did did all my stuff, and I was just wearing oh, my normal clothes. I've heard about this. Yeah. 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 And then I was driving home, and all of a sudden, like, my eyes started watering, and I was like, what the hell? You know, what's wrong with me? Oh, I was driving man. into the sun, and I looked down, and I had all that little crystalline stuff on my shirt. And the sunlight hitting it was like kicking oh, it man. off a little more or something because I started getting few. I had to take my shirt off while I was driving, <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> you "Okay, had to be that guy." Okay, none yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're yeah, not going to yeah, do yeah, that yeah. again. That's the other thing too. A lot of these techniques are still like like that was probably totally new or yep. You're well, one, you know, one of the first yeah. to do it, right? It's it, and when I was at, at the Stan, beginning stages, yeah. And when I was yeah. at Stan Winston's, uh, syntactic molds were like a big ooh, ooh. We're gonna make a right. syntactic mold. It's kind of a secret process, and it was brought over from aerospace. Now everybody does it. Okay, so uh, yeah. I mean, I, I started learning there, and uh, but all, all those resins and and the different things that you use and the fiberglass and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a dirty kind of. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to call it a thankless job because it's 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 incredibly important, and I do think people recognize it. Um, but sometimes people don't. Sometimes people don't understand how important the mold making step is. That informs everything else that comes after it. I think. So, well, most people, especially, well, I mean, the way I was, I mean, I could, I knew sculpting and painting was part of it. Yeah. Because you see that a lot on like the no, specials right. and stuff, but mold making is honestly it's not it exciting to, be, to show. Yeah, it's not exciting enough to show. People don't you won't get it immediately. Yep, you need like an explanation. So like I feel like yeah, they they they're just pretty much thankless. Yeah, and when you see that part. 
you know, a big clay blanket laid over something with the keys on it, with yeah. the strips of clay that are keys, you first look at that, you're like, what the hell is that? Yeah. It's a piece of clay with a bunch of lines on it. Right. You don't understand right. that that's the negative of the jacket and right, you know, you're right, pour right. silicone in there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is really interesting. Since you started, actually, you know what, before that, how'd you meet Justin, the boss of Fractured Effects? The boss. Uh, I met him... <laughs> Really at uh, um, Quantum, I think I probably bumped into him a couple times. I'm trying to remember if I had before that. But at Quantum, that's where I really got to know him. And uh, I think early on, a lot of people weren't aware that he was a partner in the shop. They okay. thought maybe he was just the art director or something. <laughs> right, you know? right, 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 right. Um, uh, but the more I got to know him and uh, see the way that you know, he, he really cared about the people who were working there. Um, and you know, I'd worked at a couple of shops where that wasn't the case. <laughs> okay. I worked at other yeah. shops where people were great. I mean, yeah. I, I had a fantastic time at like Spectrum Motion, for instance. Okay. Um, but I did, you know, I got to know him there and they gave me a chance to coordinate shows there for the first time. Okay. And that kind of fed into the old training that I had, not necessarily as police work, but the management in that goes into it dealing with people right right dealing with people that must be like getting everyone yeah. grouped together and going yeah. towards the same goal yeah, yeah yeah that kind of training you know they give everyone that training at some point like in the military and, and on a police department because they don't know who's going to stick around for 30 years and run the joint oh right later so okay. they kind of train a large group of people ah uh, that's so, interesting yeah so I, okay. I had some pretty decent experience with that and uh i remember talking to him back then uh Christian Beckman, the other partner in Quantum, I, he said, you know, is there anything else you want to do besides mold making? Because everyone always like tries to transition into other jobs and learn new oh, things. Right, right, right. And I said, look, I, I don't paint or sculpt. I, I don't have those <laughs> abilities. So right. uh, there's a guy named Fernando Favela who was the, the coordinator. And I said, uh, I'd like to do a job like Fernando's. I, I think I could handle that. And he said... Uh, Ooh, are you sure? That's a lot of paperwork. And I said, yeah, think about where I just came from. And he's like, right. oh yeah, never mind. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> Filling right. out right. crap right. in triplicate. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of paperwork in this business comparatively. He was okay. talking about writing out budgets and stuff. Okay, yeah. But once yeah, you get yeah. through that, right. it's not a paper-heavy job. Right, right, right. So, it must have felt like a watered down in some way. I mean, dealing with like stereotypically anyway, the, the egos of certain oh, yeah. people's involved in this industry, but you yeah. were dealing with probably meth addicts and all kinds of crazy <laughs> shit yeah. in yeah. the other jobs. So, so you, it's still, it's, it's just probably a different level. It's probably like, Oh yeah, I can handle this shit. Right. Yeah. And it's, you this know, is nothing compared to where right. I was. And you just gotta, I had to realize, you know, I'm, I'm not dealing with a platoon of Marines here. I'm not uh -huh. dealing with a bunch of cops. So yeah. you kind of, I'm dealing with a bunch right. of artists. And if you go out right. there and yell at them, they're going to shut down. Right. You know, because right. they're, they're not in that same emotional mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, they're not expecting someone to come out and jump in their ass. Right. Um, even if they need it, right. <laughs> which right. sometimes right. they do. Right. 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 Um, but I, you know, and I, I think I did okay. I don't, I don't really think anyone has ever uh, not liked working for me, you know, yeah, it's I, been I, fractures fucking awesome, man. I, we try to treat people well, as long as you're doing your job, yeah. I don't need to get in your business. I don't right, need right, to stand right. over your shoulder. You're a right. grown up. You've quoted me a rate. You've quoted me some experience that you have for doing this job. Right. So I'm going to let you do it. Right. You know, and if it comes to my attention that you're not living up to that, then, then we'll deal with it. Right. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we try to, you know, hire really competent artists and let them do their job. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's the best way in an, in an environment full of artists, you know, yeah. most of the time you just sort of have to pull back the artists from arguing with each other. Oh, right, right, oh, right. I want right, to do right. it that way. No, I want to yeah. do it that way. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, I get it, but artists want freedom. Well, everybody does. Everybody but does. But artistic freedom. Yeah. Artists, you know, it, I think <clears throat> it's tough for the artists in this business because you're handed a design Yeah. and you know, you've been in this long enough. It, it changes from day yeah. to day yeah. or, yeah. or the director yeah. comes back three weeks after we've started and says, Oh man, you know, I really want to, you know, take another look right. at this. Right. Uh, so I think that's tough on some of the sculptors because yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. doing someone else's artwork and, and recreating right. it. Right. Um, 
So, you know, I, I experienced early on, you know, there were a few people who kind of want to do their own thing and you have to express to them, you know, this, this is not your thing. I appreciate it. Yeah. But this is not your project. Right. It doesn't matter whether or not we like the design, you right. know, as an artist, right, it right, doesn't, right. your thoughts on the design don't matter because someone else chose it. Someone else hired us. Right. We hired you. It's right. commercial art. Okay. You know, for lack of a better way, I look at it's commercial art. So you have to, yeah, it is. You have for to make sure. the client happy for sure. Movies and, are some of the most commercial art. Oh yeah. It's probably yeah. the most actually graphic design. If I remember hearing this graphic design is probably the most commercial but sure. movies can't be too far behind. No, it's because it's all, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's us. There's the set decoration people. There are the people who build all the little moving devices. On you know, you're putting all this artwork into this one big thing. Yeah, that yeah. is hopefully going to make a lot of money on the yeah. other end. You know, for them. Right. <laughs> I mean, in the case of superhero stuff too, that's popular lately. It's like if you deviate too much from that stuff, you're going to have a bunch of fans going crazy over it. Like yeah. it has to look like the source material, yeah. even like. It was totally CG, but like the Sonic movie recently, like they had that almost done and they redid the, redid the look of the main character. Yeah, because you know? like everyone hated it. The backlash yeah. of the yeah. fans. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, that's the state that we're living in right now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, did you have like a favorite movie that you worked on? Oh, man. I don't even know. I mean, uh, I, I do. I, we had a lot of fun on Sucker Punch. That okay. was one of the last things I worked on at Quantum. Last thing that Justin worked on at Quantum. Um, that was the one time that I actually went to set. Okay. They needed an on-set coordinator to track okay. all the, man, we had orcs and, gotcha. uh, you know, all the demon German soldiers. And we had so much stuff coming in and out of there that uh, Justin went up there and kind of ran the makeup end of things and i would just you know basically coordinate the shipments and okay make sure we had all the stuff there on time right 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 um, cleaning up you know make sure the, the all the, the makeup pieces on set yeah that can get lost in yeah the, in the fray of the exactly shooting day logging yeah. in what's coming in and all that but um most of the time you don't do that most okay. of the time you're not going to see that on set if you're not you know, an artist who's actually working on something, you're, that's not going to happen. Right, right, right. But that was cool. It was in Vancouver. Vancouver is beautiful. That's okay. a gorgeous place to be. Um, the shoot was fun. The sets were unbelievable. Uh, Zach's crew is always super cool. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, yeah, I don't know what yeah. it is. He just, he yeah. surrounds himself with good people. Right. You know, right. Uh, we've had experiences on some shows where, you know, yeah. it's positive, it's negative, um, but it was all positive working with those guys. He just surrounded himself with great ADs. Okay. You know, even the PAs. I mean, everybody right, on that right, show right. seemed to be really cool, really in line with what Zach was doing. Right. And we worked together. I thought we worked together really well. There wasn't a lot of crazy arguing going on and all that. The stunt nonsense. dudes that we've met through here for Snyder stuff, they're pretty much ride or die for Snyder. Oh, yeah. like yeah, yeah. they got some loyalty going yeah. on. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's been yeah. doing so many uh, action oriented films for so long and he's had this kind of same group of right. guys. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that was really cool too. And getting to see them work out the scenes. Right. Um, and they had a, a, for the dragon sequence in uh, sucker punch, they had a big set uh, like a partial gate. And then, you know, it was, it was complete, blue screen or green screen all the way around and they had this huge stack of mats that sort of went up like a pyramid right up to the top and uh, I, I remember zach getting up there and flipping off of it and landing on the things that and you know the stunt, stunt cor- yeah yeah the stunt <laughs> coordinator's like oh geez <laughs> don't do that i think he does like push-ups and stuff on set oh yeah we did flips well he that. had um he had uh, the guys who do the Navy SEAL training and the, okay. Jim you know, Jones? the 300 training yeah, yeah, program, yeah. they called it at the yeah. time. So he had those guys on set, and they would work with uh, the, the stunt guys and the actresses. The actresses okay. would come in and work out. Okay. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. I know the, the, the name is Jim Jones, I think, G-Y-M. Um, well, they were – yeah, yeah, the trainers yeah. are. And at the time, I think the stunt group was still called 8711. Um, but I think it's something different now. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't think those guys are still with the same group, but I, I do remember like, you know, sometimes uh, this show business, show business has a lot of stories about directors going, ah, whatever, you know, get me a new stunt man. Right. And, right. Um, uh, Matt Rigetti 
came rolling down the stairs in his orc outfit. And, you know, I mean, he sold it. He rolled down these stairs and he hit the bottom and his head like went over the end, like his neck cranked back and he just laid there. It's like, dude, are and, you okay, uh, man? Yeah, Zach went, all right, cut. That's it. That's it. No more. <laughs> okay. All right, good. <laughs> We're done. No, no, good. no. I got it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, yeah. he watches out for his guys. Okay, that's good. Yeah. he's, he's they, they really like him, it's, it's from, well, from what and, I gather. And that's why. Yeah. You know, he yeah. cares. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he yeah. was like, all right, that's it. That looked a little too right. crazy. No more. Yeah. You know, so Your Nick, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, they love him so much is because he, you know, he cares, he gets them the proper training and the time to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. Moving close to the end here, but, uh, you're also a writer. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, did you have a book published? Uh, well, that was published through Kindle direct. Um, but I, I've had, um, a bunch of sci-fi short stories accepted into anthologies and okay. things like that. Um, I was in an anthology called Fantasy for Good, and I saw the listing for it and sent them a story. They sent me back and they said, hey, yeah, we love your story. We're going to put it in here. And I just happened to look like a little further into the project since he accepted me. And they were doing reprints by like George R. R. Martin and Piers Anthony. Okay. And I was like, oh God, hold on a second. Let me, uh, let me take another look at that story. <laughs> let me okay. do another pass another, on that. Yeah, another, another draft um, maybe. So that, but that was kind of cool. Um, and I've had a few other short stories in um, like Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show. Okay. Um, I had a story called Bare Knuckle Magic in there that was pretty cool. It's like combination of MMA fighting and black magic. Um, so that was, was this I made mean, into any, into no, a show or anything? No, okay. I haven't, uh, it's all, you know, like long form fiction. I've written a few screenplays. I think like everyone in California is required to do. <laughs> yeah. You have to, you know, yeah. I won some money through Amazon studios for a werewolf project. Yeah. Uh, okay. Won twenty grand through the first year that Amazon studios had that contest. That's cool. Thing. Yeah, it was cool. Um, Hasn't been made. No, no. Okay. So, so many projects got picked up during that time. Yeah. That initial Amazon Studio thing. Yeah. They hadn't even really, like, it, it was really new. Not like it is now. Like, Amazon and uh, Netflix and all these streaming services are just cranking yeah. out shows. Yeah. They were just starting to get into it. So, okay. I, I'm not, I don't even know if they were really sure what they wanted. They just had so many projects, of course. A lot of money to burn. You put, yeah. You put that out on the internet. Yeah. Oh my God, you're going to get inundated with projects. So there was plenty of stuff up there for them to choose from. A friend of mine won twice, won 40 grand. Okay. It was was like 20 grand a month. Wow. uh, I think that they were doing at one point. This was a full feature, your werewolf movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was called Pack Behavior. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool, but I kind of like the freedom of long form fiction more than screenplays. Yeah, there's no one telling you. This is cool, but can we change the lead to a man uh, from uh, a woman? And you okay, know, yeah, I, and right. I have had that on screenplays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is really cool. Can we make the lead a man? Then you yeah, let me just go. Woman, yeah, let me just go uh, hunt. Uh, you know, find replace on Word. Yeah, <laughs> and just change it from you know Andrea to Andrew. No, right, right you know, right, it doesn't right. work like that. Right. Um, so that's you know, long form fiction. You build your world. You you know, when you get a story accepted you'll work with an editor a little bit but they're more concerned about word count or maybe cleaning up an area where you repeated some you know right but they're not trying to change your story okay it's not a producer right who's trying a lot to, more freedom yeah, yeah a lot more freedom uh, so that's you know i have fun i'm still doing that what authors or books uh got you into writing Oh, man. Well, I started writing when I was a little kid because the school system I went through emphasized creative writing as okay. English in an English class. Okay. We were constantly writing little short stories, one or two okay. pages. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I read my eighth grade English teacher gave me The Stand by Stephen King. Okay. And that just, you know, blew me away. Uh, that was crazy. And then when I got into high school as a sophomore, I stumbled across uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. And that's, you know, <laughs> you look at that as a writer and you just go, oh, God, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be that level. guy. That guy's amazing. Um, yeah, his, his language, everything. And, and cyberpunk, mm-hmm. you know, that, that genre was just, that just blew me away. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that, I think that's probably why I write so much science fiction fantasy. Okay. Because uh, I, I, I really loved it growing up. That's, there's some connection with that and 
effects work. Oh yeah, least, definitely. You know? I mean, that's you know, everyone here is a comic book fan, a right. sci-fi fantasy fan, horror, gaming. I mean, uh, that's that's this industry, right? You know, right, I, right, I almost right. felt like I was like, oh god, man, I feel like a fraud. I don't, these, these dudes are like, you know, they know who wrote the music for this movie, right? Right, the, right, yeah. right, right. I feel like that at times when it becomes like a big horror. Yeah. Thing because that's obviously horror is like the core of this particular industry. Although it's a lot of it, yeah. Like at least the history of it, right? Like yeah. Exorcist and before that, and oh, all yeah. that. Like really, I think that's the core of this industry of yeah. of the f- special effects makeup. Yeah. But there's obviously fantasy and lately, most lately, most recently, superhero stuff. A lot of superhero stuff. Yeah. For me, I grew up mainly liking video games. And so, like, a lot of times I get, like, the Mortal Kombat feel in my head, yeah. personally. Like, because that's my, that was, like, my horror growing up was, I did watch horror movies, but the main yeah, thing in my, in my life that involved a lot of blood and crazy characters was Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat, Kombat yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch. <clears throat> horror's never really been my thing, and, and it's odd because I'm such a Stephen King fan. But uh-huh. I haven't read all his stuff either because I'm just not that big a horror fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I got into this and people were talking about all these obscure horror films, yeah, and you know, yeah. there were people who were into these old Italian horror films I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was interesting. Sort of getting into that culture where. Everyone is so into that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people wanted to hear, like, what's the grossest thing you ever saw, you know, when you were a cop? And, and I'm just like, I, I don't oh, think God, you, you understand the horror of actually seeing a real person decapitated versus these things you're working on for a movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's horrific. It's not, yeah. you know, I, I, I really don't talk about it that much unless somebody asks me a question. It's um, true, true, true horror, that stuff. Yeah, it is truly true horrific. horror. Yeah, it is horrific, and it's not anything like, you know, seeing this stuff here. So these young dudes are like, oh, yeah, look at that. You know, his eye yeah. popped out and, yeah, yeah, and all yeah. this other stuff. You're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I get your fascination with it, but yeah, it's horrible. In real yeah, life, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. terrible. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. That's uh, uh, a lot of the horror movie stuff is where a lot of this is based and you know gore gags everybody has a story about some crazy gore gag they had to make yeah 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 make it work on set for a low budget movie or something it's there's a lot of that Um, but yeah you're right it's kind of moving into a different world now fantasy's getting bigger too i mean we had lord of the rings but like when i grew up in the 90s like there was like almost no fantasy Not, not until lord of the rings came out and then yeah that and of course superheroes huge People were trying that for years and didn't really hit until Iron Man yeah, 1. You know, I think, like, uh, and then we had Dark Knight and everything. But I, I think that was, I think up until that time, to me, when I look back at those older movies, it's like no one took it seriously. You yeah, know, it was yeah, always yeah. kind of campy, yeah. a little silly, a little over yeah. the top. And then, you know, like you hit stuff like The Dark Knight or whatever, yeah, uh, yeah. or even Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen yeah. was kind of dark. and It did kind and, of set and, the stage. For yeah, that. yeah. It, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't right. a crazy Batman suit with nipples on it. Right, <laughs> it right, was, right, right. You know, I mean, the suits were still crazy and it, it was, you know, but I was like, oh my God, I, like a full on sex scene in a superhero movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who, who does that? <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach does that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they've, I, I think it's better since it's gotten a little more grounded in you know, seriousness a right. little more real, right. but, but it's still funny, you know, like Thor, you know, Ragnarok. Ragnarok and yeah, yeah. It's still yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's changed for the better. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. So something okay. else will come along and something will t- change everything yeah. more than likely. And Disney owns everything now. So the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other, mm-hmm. I don't know how much we want to talk about that one. <laughs> um, so you did not write a Greek movie called Raiders of the Damned. I did. You did? Yeah. Okay, I thought that, okay. The most dog guy. <laughs> so terrible. Um, I got hooked into a guy from Colorado, and uh, I wrote a short for him. He had done some stop motion stuff, and I forget, I think we met through a friend of mine who was a writer, and so I said, okay, well, you know, I wrote this little short film for him based on dolls that are in cases, and, you know, they come to life, and it's this crazy little short film. 
So he came back to me and he said, man, we really love this. In fact, we love it so much. Um, and we've been talking about how much it would cost to make it and everything. We decided, screw it. We're just going to make a feature. So could I get you to write a zombie movie for me? But he said, I don't want them to be arg zombies. Okay. I, you know, I, I have this different idea. So I was like, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> and I knew it was low budget. Um, Usually he, if it has zombie in it, yeah, it's low and he low was side. doing it out of pocket. Um, so he, I hooked him into a casting director out here okay. that I knew, and he actually uh, got uh, Richard Grillo to be in it. Okay. Um, but then he would come back like, uh, because we were trying to save, I forget why we went in this direction. We were trying to save money on bullet hits and stuff. He just couldn't do that, and he didn't have special effects. So we came up with these rounds that would, you know, hit the zombie and they had chemicals in them and they would basically solidify them, you know, okay. would solidify their body and they couldn't, couldn't move anymore. Um, so <laughs> he would, he would call me up and he'd go, Hey, I got this cool idea for a line. You know, he shoots the guy and that, that, you know, stiffens him up and everything. And he says, I always knew you were a stiff or something <laughs> like that. And I was oh like, my God. no, that's terrible. Um, but I guess it kind of went downhill out there on set. Uh, I didn't go out there. It was a shot in Colorado. Okay. Um, so I didn't go out there. And uh, one of, it was so bad that one of the SAG actors that he had coming out there quit. Oh, like in the well, middle of the movie. It was that bad. So instead of calling me and figuring out a way to write out his character, he just shot it out on it. his own. No, oh. I mean, he shot the guy's death, but it was totally nonsensical and... <laughs> it was is it on Netflix or anything uh, like that? Like, well, I don't know. Uh, it <clears throat> was on that. Uh, I think it was like a UK network, bloody something or like it was a, some little horror. Yeah, it was a horror or streaming. Horror? No, well, not streaming at that time. But okay, it was like a little network. Um, but yeah, bad, you know, did bad, you ever see bad. the original? <laughs> the full thing? I I did. He sent me a copy of it. And uh, like it started out and I could just see my, you know, I was sitting on the couch and I just felt like I was sinking farther and farther <laughs> into the couch <laughs> as it went on. That's cool though. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, he, he got, got, you got a movie Rico. Made. I think he paid him, I don't know. Well, maybe I shouldn't even say it, but uh, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. So, you know, you got Richard Grieco coming out there and uh, there were people who were supposed to be training on sword work and stuff um, because one person carried a samurai sword. Okay. And. No, they did not train. Yeah, they couldn't, couldn't, <laughs> it just, couldn't use yeah, it. It yeah. does not look like they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, but I mean, that was, yeah, that was an experience. That's, see, that's what I was talking about. Long form fiction versus screenplays. Um, when you hand your fiction story over to someone, there's not a director who's going to just go, well, I'm going to change that scene. Yeah. You know, and, th and that's just the way screenwriting is. They will change it. We were taught in film school, a movie's made three times. Once on the page, once on set, and once in the editing room. Once in the editing room, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's part of the process, but there's also, this business is filled with egos. Yeah, yeah. Filled with egos. And, um, you know, I've known a lot of... It's known for that. Yeah, and I've known yeah. a lot of screenwriters um, through being a writer and going yeah. to different functions and stuff and meeting people and just listening to the horror stories of, like, not being invited to a screening or... You know, so people have to put that in their contract. Hey, I get to go to the screening. Oh, yeah. But you're the damn writer. You came up with it. I would right. hope right. that you exactly. would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you know, there are a lot of egos. There are a lot of people who work great writer-director combos who have great relationships. But then there right. are other directors who just come in and start gutting the story and doing it themselves. You know, right. I think there's a lot of pretty famous stories about Blood Rain. Okay. Uh, you know. Oh, uh, what was uh, that again? The The... the the woman who played the Terminator, um, Kristana Loken. This R A Y N E. Yes, this is like a video game movie. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. this Uva Bowl? It was. It was. Yeah, Uva Bowl or how you say his name? his name? Yeah. And um, I watched. Oh, there's something called Tales from the Script. Have you ever watched that? No, dude, you have to watch it. Okay. It's a great documentary on screenwriting and movie making in general. Okay. But they talk about that and, and the, the person's, uh, I forget who's talking about Blood Rain, but they were like, yeah, eventually the actors took a swing at it. Uh, the, you know, <laughs> they were just like wow. writing stuff left and right. And uh, I don't think that was a positive experience, but it's, it's really interesting because okay. I think uh, 
I think Paul Schrader is the one who says that he was talking to uh, Francis Ford Coppola after the, I want to say it was after the Godfather and uh, he jokingly told Coppola, oh dude, you can fail for, you know, five or 10 years now and they won't, they won't have anything to say. He said, no, I can fail for 20. Oh, wow. It was basically, you know, because that's the way it goes. You have a, this enormous hit as a director. Right. And then, you know, if you have a couple of clinkers out there, they still keep giving you projects. Right, right, because right. Because you, you finished a movie, it came in, it won a bunch of Oscars, and it was great, and it made right, money. Right, So right. that's just the way it goes. But that Tales from the Script is a very, very good exposure to the writing process in show business. Is it on Netflix or Prime or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. You can you can find it out there, and uh, they they were talking. There's a story about uh, man, was it William Goldman? There's a story. It was a it was a higher end screenwriter, and they come into the producer's office, and they're like, you know, what is this craziness? I'm hearing that this is being changed, and that's changed. You know, um, oh, well, you know, we're doing it for certain reasons. And he says, uh, were you, did you read the script? And the producer says, or the studio exec says, well, I was exposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean you were exposed to He it? saw the top page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. So, it's in the same room as yeah. the script. And he hadn't read it. And I mean, that's just, <laughs> you, you have to know that going in. If you're going to write screenplays, you have to know that going in that once you sell it, it ain't yours anymore. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. going to change it the way they want to. Yeah. And you just go, well, thanks for the paycheck. At least you got yeah. your Hollywood screenwriter at that point, though. I got my, you know what I mean? You know, I got paid and... Yeah. Uh, you, you got to go on to the next project. But, uh, yeah, you should check that out. It's okay. A good documentary. All right. Is this pretty much it until you retire, or do you want to get more into writing or what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I would love to, uh, you know, publish a book and be able to write full-time. Okay. But this is a great job, you know. I mean, yeah. I love it. I love – the thing about coordinating shows is that I get to see every step – yeah, way. that's true. That's you know, true. when I was in the mold shop, you just work on whatever they put on your table. Right. I try to go out of my way and go out in the shop and show people pictures right. from set. And right, right, right. Because, I, you know, you don't always see that I stuff. don't even see it a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, not every time, but many times, but yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the way it is. It's, it's compartmentalized, and you're in your department, and, you know, yeah. you, you don't get to kind of see it. So, you know, I mean, I get to go to meetings. I read the scripts and do the breakdowns. Um, watch the designs come in do the sculpting and you know it's it's kind of cool it, is it, it really fun going to cool those job. meetings like with producers and stuff do you enjoy that it can be um like on a series once it gets rolling and everybody's like you know halfway through the season those meetings can, can kind of be like huh it's more dreary. you know every yeah everybody's in there like oh uh, yeah you know i'm, I'm tired I've, yeah. everybody's been working um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. You go in there, you meet the people. Everyone's always, of course, super excited about the project. It's yeah. brand new, and they're trying to get things off the ground. Right. Um, and it's kind of cool to go in there and show people cool stuff that we've made and kind of explain the process because nobody right. ever really seems to understand no. what goes <laughs> into this. No. Uh, you guys can, like, pull something out of the mold tomorrow, right? No. <laughs> no. You cannot. I wish I could lie about that. Yeah, I wish I could tell you we could, but we cannot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's So, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, as long as I can stay in it anyway, um, I, I love the business. I like working with all the artists. Um, and Justin is a great guy to work for. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a great shop. I, I feel like this is a really... A good environment yeah you know it's yeah. a decent shop environment yeah. not a negative place to be no um so i you know i like it yeah it's, it's cool it's fun I all can right definitely see it you know going on maybe even expanding let's not get carried away <laughs> <laughs> all right man thanks for joining us man it's been awesome i you're cool. the first uh guest we've ever had that we just know you know that was like in the service and doing something else first. Yeah. 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 Just, I mean, I know you probably wanted to talk more about effects stuff oh, more hey. than the other stuff, but uh, I, I wanted to kind of go in that cause it was different for our podcast. So, yeah. you know, I thought that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely a, a different lifestyle change for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cause you're, you're in that sort of conservative minded group of people. And then you come out here into the most liberal minded group <laughs> yeah. of people yeah. that yeah. you can, yeah. you know, you yeah. can think to meet. So yeah. But, you know, it was pretty cool. I think it benefited 
me in the long run. I thought about asking you about politics and stuff, but I, oh, maybe God. we'll just leave that uh, uh, yeah. you know, off the air. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. You and I probably think the same on that. So, that, yeah. yeah, it'd just be a bitch session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah. We'll uh, leave it apolitical, super we'll house. Visit that later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining. Well, thanks for uh, having me on. This yeah. was fun. Yeah. Cool, Always man. good. All right. All right. This is Andrew signing off. Thank you. Network.